It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. episode of the show before the show podcast from milb.com my name is tyler ron sam dykstra is in new york city howdy sam howdy tyler recording on a tuesday we never do this on a tuesday i know the the fact that you use howdy is just putting me in a different (laughs) place to begin with we're on a different mood so much different energy coming to the show this week (laughs) we're changing things up um so hey we welcome you in to this week's episode thanks for joining us wherever you found us at milb.com slash podcast or on apple Podcasts and google play and stitcher and everywhere else uh you can give us a rating and a review and a subscription if you would like and uh let us know what you think about the show you can also get in touch podcast at milb.com and uh we're now almost a month into the well maybe not quite but we're a ways into the arizona fall league season and that is our focus generally on these early october episodes of the show before the show as uh we dive into the showcase circuit for strike one this week on uh our old minor league baseball podcast the fall stars rosters have been announced uh the fall stars game which is coming up on october 12th at five o'clock local time in uh in phoenix salt river fields a talking stick so technically in scottsdale um that uh currently they are on uh pacific time by the way so in case you're wondering on the east coast it'll be eight o'clock there um the fall stars uh always a really really entertaining game uh it will be streamed at mlb.com slash afl in case you're wondering but uh 12 top 100 prospects were named to the east division and west division rosters nine of them from the east division by the way so that's uh a little bit of a, a battle there in the uh the matchup but these are really interesting rosters joe adele uh is probably the guy who jumps out most he is the fifth ranked overall prospect in baseball and has been fantastic uh through his first couple of weeks for mesa um there's a lot of really big names on this roster right now the east is loaded yeah no the east absolutely is loaded it it was funny putting this together and just being like okay so there's three top 100 prospects on the west side in luis garcia julio rodriguez and daniel lynch and reasons to be excited about it all three and then i looked to the west or i looked towards the east and i was just clicking them off joey bart miguel amaya those are the two catchers for the east both of them are top 100 prospects in the infield alone they have top 100 prospects with Vidal Brujan, Royce Lewis, Alec Bohm, Andres Jimenez, and Seth Beer. You mentioned Jeff or Joe Adele as the outfielder, a top 100 prospect there, and then a top 100 prospect on the pitching staff in Shane Boz. Uh, this east side is particularly loaded. Now it's it's a one game exhibition. Uh, it doesn't really matter much. What you're in it for is to see these guys compete with each other and how they measure up to each other. So whether they're on the same side or not isn't going to make a huge big difference um for all we know you know the west side could put together a strong game and win this going away it's one game as carter keyboom talked to me at the futures game this year uh you know last year's futures game was 
littered with home runs this year was very little offense to speak of. He says that's the crazy nature of one game. You know, anything could happen one way or the other. Um, so just because the east side is more loaded, don't necessarily think that they're a shoe in to win. Uh, not that that matters either. Um, but just seeing how this infield is going to kind of put itself together should be really fascinating. Uh, Royce Lewis, he's listed here as a third baseman. Uh, we know he's usually a shortstop during the regular season. We also know he's gotten time in center field this year in the AFL. So, uh, you know, trying to find a spot for him will be interesting to see how he fits amongst that. I would love to see an infield in which he's at third and, Alec Bohm or Seth Beer is at first, and Vidal Bruhan is at second, and Andres Jimenez is at short. Um, just seeing all of that talent really makes it feel like a futures game uh, type scenario, which is what this basically should be a futures game in fall. Um, you know, some of the other guys listed here that uh, I'm excited to see measure up. They're not quite top 100 prospects, but are still either enjoying solid falls or are right on the cusp of being a top 100 prospect. Uh, Tyler Stevenson is the catcher for the West side. Uh, we had a story on him a, a little while ago, how he's developing on both sides of the plate. Uh, you know, I think, I think Fangraphs actually has him as a top 100 prospect. The way he's performed at basically every level has been pretty solid, especially for a catcher. If he can round his game and become even better defensively, uh, that would be really special. Working in, in this type of game, you're going to be working with so many different pitchers. It's a chance to see so many different arsenals and, and learn so many different skill sets. Uh, I think it could be sort of advantageous to him. Uh, you know, Jaron Duran... Again, trying to figure out exactly what he is. He got off to a, such a strong start with Salem this year. He went to the Futures game, uh, participated in that, then really cooled off at Portland. Got off to another fairly hot start this year in the AFL. Is starting to cool off a little bit. He's mostly a line drive hitter. Uh, he's not going to be much of a power guy, but he has the chance to make a lot of contact, a lot of hard contact. What happens to him when he's going up against some of these strong arms from the east side? We'll have to wait and see. And uh, since this game is at Salt River, Salt River has access to StatCast data, and I'm sure that a lot of this will be included in the broadcast itself. Shane Baz, or Shane Boz, excuse me, is when I did a story on him this year, he talked about using data with the Rays, and it wasn't something he was really using with the Pirates, specifically when it came to spin rate. His The spin rate of his fastball is one of the best in the majors or the minors. That makes it really difficult to pick up, and there puts a lot of movement on the pitch. Uh, what happens when we measure that potentially for one inning with him uh, at Salt River will be really cool. And he's capable of pumping mid to upper 90s with the fastball, so he's going to put up the really cool velos itself. Um, but keep an eye on that broadcast because with the game being in Salt River, you'll get access to exit velocity and potentially sprint speed and all the stuff that we use now in the game and learn more about major leaguers. Now's a chance to get that with the minor league side as well. So lots of reasons to be excited with this game on Saturday. Strike two this week, the uh, organization All-Stars stories already starting to roll out across MILB.com. And, of course, we go alphabetical order with those. So the Arizona Diamondbacks up first, uh, a franchise that it seemed like heading into 2019 was going to be in kind of sell and rebuild mode. They contended for a while in 2019. They got some really interesting pieces on the way as well. Yeah, and this was uh, really interesting. It's because it, putting this roster together 
Uh, Andrew Bataferino did this for us. Uh, and Which, by I, the way, we got to jump in and just say uh, we're thinking about you, Andrew, um, who has been dealing with uh, some health issues. Andrew's been very open about over the last few years the, the Crohn's disease issues that he's been dealing with. Um, and he was going for surgery today, and we love you, man, and uh, we hope to see you back uh, you know, as soon as is humanly possible, we have a lot of Red Dead Redemption to continue to talk about. <laughs> I know, so and that's I, all we do. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to buy the game this winter. It's going to be a long winter. And, just so you can uh, join in? Yeah, just so I can get what you guys are talking about. He but. and I, I'm pretty sure that we've both, I beat it a while back, uh, and Andrew was a lot better about like taking his time and moving through it slowly and, and taking in everything. But we, 90% of our conversations, like we'll just text randomly sometimes about like, I really wish I was playing the game. But anyway, um, <laughs> we love you, man, and uh, and we'll see you soon. Yeah, no, definitely our thoughts are, are with Andrew today. But uh, if you want to read his words and, and support him in that way, check out this organization, All Star Story. And uh, I don't think the D-backs necessarily were a system that we were incredibly high on coming into the year. Uh, you know, they had some interesting pieces, Jazz Chisholm being one of them. Uh, they now traded him to the Marlins. But there are a lot of breakout guys in this system this year, uh, Dalton Varsho was the the catching choice, and I think you know we basically knew what he was. Uh, he's a, he can be a solid hitter. He's got surprising speed for a catcher. There's some belief that he's not going to stick behind the plate long term just because he is so athletic. He can play other positions, um, but to see him take off this year the way he did, he's kind of right on the cusp of being a top 100 prospect. I think he might actually be one now at number 100. Uh, we've talked about Kevin Crone, how he had a breakout year this year, ended up leading the minor leagues in home runs. You heard that last week when we did our season in review podcast. Uh, and then in the outfield, they got very athletic this year. Uh, Alec Thomas was a second round pick of theirs last year. We interviewed him on the show a couple weeks ago. He's somebody who ended the year at Class A events. Visalia helped them win a California League championship, uh, but showed a plus bat, showed the, the speed that we all expected him to have, proved to be one of the best defensive center fielders in either Class A or Class A advanced uh, this year. Really showed an all-around game. He's a breakout prospect of the year candidate, I would say. Uh, Christian Robinson, there was a lot of hope that he could maybe play a full season. They end up holding him back at Hillsborough, but he finished the year at Class A, Kane County. Uh, showed a really good bat between those levels. Actually finished second in the Northwest League with a 319 uh, batting average. Also ranked second with nine homers and had a 966 OPS Uh with the the hops i think there's a lot of thunder in his bat and i would like to again see what he can do over a full season but as he matures the power is going to come even more so for him he's another top 100 guy uh this arizona system right now is definitely on the up and up you know they've got five top 100 prospects one a couple that they've added uh at, through this season corbin carroll was their draft pick uh, in the first round this year, they added Seth Beer in the trade from the Astros for Zach Greinke. Um, but seeing Alec Thomas take that next step, seeing Christian Robinson take that next step, Dalton Varsho round out his game a little bit more, start to perform at Double A Jackson and, and carry that momentum hopefully into Triple A Reno next year. Uh, they traded for Zach Gallen, who's no longer a prospect and, and actually didn't play in the minors for the D-backs, but is now looking like a pretty solid middle of the rotation starter right away. 
for that team. You know, the, the D-backs didn't quite get there. They were in the wild card hunt for most of the year, but didn't quite break through. Uh, but with these guys that they have just a couple steps away, I, I think this is a system that is getting to the point where they can build a contender out of homegrown talent. Uh, the idea of Alec Thomas, Christian Robinson, Corbin Carroll someday sharing an outfield. Good luck, A, trying to get a ball down in that outfield. But also that's basically a great middle of the lineup. Maybe Carroll bats leadoff, something like that with his plus-plus speed. Uh, but just look at this organization, All-Stars, and it's tough not to get excited about Arizona's future in a way that we didn't necessarily feel just a couple months ago. And strike three this week as we close out our opening segment on this week's episode of the show. Before the show, we are uh, nearing the narrowing. That was a weird few words. Nearing the narrowing of the uh, MLB playoff field to four. We have one entrance into the league championship series. Uh, again, we're recording this on Tuesday. So last night, the New York Yankees uh, continued to make the Minnesota Twins look like a non-conference scheduling for Alabama in the early part of a season in college football. Uh, the Yankees are now, if I have the numbers right, a million and 37 against the Twins since like <laughs> 2002, whatever that stat is. Um, so the Yankees are on. Uh, everybody else is headed uh, along in their series. The Astros and the Rays will play a game four and they are headed to game five. In both National League series, the Nationals and the Dodgers, as well as St. Louis and Atlanta. Um, of these teams that are remaining as of right now, Sam, who do you think has the brightest future in terms of their farm system? Whose farm system stacks up best? Yeah, so it's it's funny looking at this and putting all these guys on there. And mind you, you know, this list is going to change. The Astros and Rays are playing tonight. Justin Verlander is going on short rest. Uh, there's a decent chance the Astros could eliminate the Rays tonight. And we have this different conversation tomorrow than we have today. That's the nature of the postseason. Um, but looking at the way these farm systems kind of stack up, it's it's tough to find one that we're not really high on. Uh, I think if I were to list them out right now, I would have Rays number one, which isn't a surprise. We were very high on them to begin the year. Uh, they graduated guys like Brandon Lau, who wasn't even a top 100 prospect, but was a rookie of the year candidate for much of the year. Uh, Nate Lowe has made the majors. Brent Honeywell is, is still not quite there. Oh, wait, hold on. I got a call. Is that you? <laughs> no, that's... Uh, okay, I was is like, that you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what, who could be calling this room right now. I want to leave this in. I'm, I'm leaving this in. <laughs> Hello, minor league baseball podcast. Yeah, uh, I should have. <laughs> I should have, but I was afraid to answer and then be like, <laughs> what are I'm you leaving, doing? I'm leaving this in. I'm leaving it in. Okay. So anyways, as I was saying, uh, Brent Honeywell, we know, had a really tough year, but he's still in that system. And, and we would love to see him get back on the mound in 2020. Uh, it, when he is healthy, he is amongst the best pitching prospects in all of baseball. Uh, Vidal Brujan, who we mentioned, is going to the Fall Stars game. Brendan McKay graduated to the majors, but is still not graduated from prospectum, so we still have to count him. Shane Boz, as we mentioned, and a lot of the guys that they took in the 2018 draft uh, in terms of pitchers like Matthew Libertor and, and McClanahan and uh, stuff like that. And Josh Lowe, brother of Nate Lowe, is on the up and up. He's in the Fall Stars game as well. Uh, the Rays are definitely in the conversation for best system in baseball. Uh, I have the Braves at number two. Uh, not a huge surprise. They 
didn't graduate that many guys this year. We were hoping that Kyle Wright might graduate. Didn't end up happening. Didn't get the time. But overlook those AAA numbers. We know what happened there uh, with the new ball. He's still a very good prospect. And, and we know they're loaded with outfielders with Drew Waters and Christian Pache. And, uh, you know, how are those guys going to fit in potentially with – you know, the, the Ronald Acuna going forward, how is that outfield going to look? That's a good problem for them to have. And then Ian Anderson reaching AAA at the end of the year, uh, looking like a potential number two, number three starter, maybe even an ace if he can put things together and, and figure out his control a little bit better uh, at, than he did in 2019. Uh, the Dodgers I have at number three, just because the, so a lot of these systems that we talk about, they, they look promising at the lower levels and then guys get to the upper levels and they kind of flame out, which makes sense. It, it, the upper levels are difficult. The majors are difficult. Uh, they're going to come across problems that they haven't seen before. The Dodgers just seem to graduate guys with ease, which sounds bad, but um, it seems like guys get better the higher up the chain they go. Gavin Lux being one of those this year. Uh, Dustin May being one of those this year. Josiah Gray and Jeter Downs come into the system from the Reds organization, automatically improve for some of our breakout prospects. Tony Gonsolin is their, their number six prospect now. A lot of people thought he had a chance to be kind of a breakout star of the playoffs. They leave him off the roster because they have too many good arms for that Dodgers team. Um, but look for him to still be you know, a menace uh, starting in 2020 and going on. Uh, and some of these other guys further down the list, you know, you kind of expect, hey, as they get more comfortable in the system, you know, maybe they can become the next Max Muncy or something like that. Somebody who may have been overlooked, but uh, the Dodgers can turn into someone. Uh, they seem to do this left and right, and they earn some bonus points there. Just to quickly go through the rest, the Astros have graduated a little too much, and, and that's not a bad problem to have. Forrest Whitley is certainly – his arrow is pointing back up in the AFL. Uh, he was left off the Fall Stars roster, which was interesting to me. I think part of that is – just there's just too many arms and maybe they didn't want him throwing that day. Something like that. We'll have to see. Uh, after them, I have the Cardinals followed by the Yankees and the Nationals. The Nationals may be the system I'm down most on right now, uh, given this group. But they still have Carter Keboom, who they're expecting big things out of. Uh, Luis Garcia, they've been aggressive with. And, you know, he, he started to stumble a little bit in 2019. But, you know, playing at double A at his age. Uh, that was kind of expected, and he's hoping to refine his form right now in the fall league. Uh, he was another fall stars addition, and a after that, it falls apart a little bit for me with the Nationals. I, I would have liked to have seen Mason Denneberg pitch more in 2019. That didn't happen. Uh, you know, we'll have to see what Jackson Rutledge can become. Um, but when this is the bottom of the barrel with the Nationals with two top 100 prospects and some really good arms, uh, these are why these teams make the postseason. That, that they are very good at turning their farm system into homegrown talent and using that as the base to build around. The Nationals obviously building around Juan Soto has been huge for them. Adding Victor Robles to the mix has been big for them. Uh, you know, Steven Strasburg being arguably their best pitcher right there with Max Scherzer. We forget he is homegrown uh, as their number one overall pick all those years ago. So uh, lots to be excited about with these organizations. And I don't think any of them are really going anywhere, at least coming down anytime soon, just because of what they have in the pipeline. Just, uh, and we're again recording on Tuesday. So there's a chance about you, the time you listen to this, 
the meme has already been either cemented or blown up. But the the Nationals got Steven Strasburg and Bryce Harper in back-to-back drafts. They signed Max Scherzer. They've got Anthony Rendon. They've got Victor Robles. They've got Juan Soto. How has this team never made an LCS? I don't get it. <laughs> Maybe tomorrow is the day. Uh, but, man, that team has had so much talent for so long, and it baffles me. Like, you look at Victor Robles and Juan Soto right now, and it's like, oh, right, they lose Bryce Harper. Of course they have those guys now. It's amazing. Right, and I'm glad you mentioned Rendon. I, that slipped my mind. He was a first-round pick of theirs, obviously. That has worked out incredibly well, and he enters his free agency this offseason they'll be fascinated to see what he can get hopefully it's lots of money whether it's from the Nats or, or wherever because he has cemented his place as an MVP candidate basically year in and year out at this point um, yeah they have a lot to build around we know the bullpen has been their struggle this year uh, they haven't found the right pieces there but even somebody like Austin Both, uh, I kind of gave up on him as a prospect for a while there and there there was an argument for him being one of their betting start best starting options or long men out of the bullpen there for a while. Uh, I think he made the postseason roster. So even when it feels like, hey, this is a weakness for this team, they still have options and they have still improved guys. They don't give up on guys just because they graduate from prospect them. Um, you know, it's, it's an interesting mix. We'll have to see if they can get past the Dodgers. That would be a heck of an upset given how heavily favored the Dodgers were coming into this playoffs. But uh, yeah, I what the Nats will be from here if Rendon leaves will be fascinating. But, you know, we doubted it when they lost Harper, and here they are in the playoffs in ways they weren't before. Coming down to two and maybe three game fives in the uh, division series is pretty fun. Uh, So that'll do it for three weeks on this week's episode of the show before the show. We're joined this week on the Minor League Baseball podcast by – uh, Marlins number 11 prospect and Salt River Rafter uh, playing currently in the AFL. Nick Neider. Nick, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me on here. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, so one of the reasons we wanted to have you on is yesterday the Fall Stars uh, game uh, announcement came out. We knew the, the rosters officially yesterday. You were named onto that. So you could be playing this Saturday as a pitcher. I know things get a little hairy trying to figure things out, but uh, what was it like to be named to that roster and what are you looking forward to most about this Saturday? Oh yeah, I'm, I'm extremely excited. It's an awesome honor to be, to be named on the fall stars team. Uh, I'm looking forward to kind of getting, getting to know other guys from other organizations. It's always fun to get to know guys, get to know other people, um, just kind of pick some brains around the league. Uh, there's so many incredible prospects and incredible guys here. Uh, playing so I'm really excited to meet some new guys play in a in a really fun game on Saturday and uh, see see what happens yeah and and is there anybody you've already circled as somebody you either want to face as a pitcher or a pitcher you you're specifically looking to talk to uh, when you get the chance Saturday um I'm I'm looking to talk uh, I I got some buddies on on different teams so I'm excited to play with them I've never played with them before Uh, so I'm excited to play with them and just Basically, every single guy that I haven't met, get to introduce myself to them, just get to know people. I love I love talking to new people, getting to know who they are, what they're about, where they came from, stuff like that. So um, I didn't really look closely at the at the list on who, who's on the other team, but I guarantee every single guy that's on there is an incredible baseball player, incredible guy, and, and I just can't wait to, to have some fun on Saturday. Hmm. 
And let's talk through your fall league so far. Obviously, it's been a successful one for you to get named to the Fall Stars roster. Um, but just looking at the numbers, a 1.62 ERA, 17 strikeouts, only two walks in 16 and two-thirds innings. Uh, you were actually named the AFL Pitcher of the Week for Week 2 last week, which comes with a chain this year. Is that true? Yeah, yeah, it does. I'm, I'm excited about that. <laughs> so what have you done with the chain? Like, have you just taken pictures with it every day? Is it something you have to pass on to the next guy? How does that part of it work? So I'm not quite sure. I haven't I haven't gotten it yet or seen it. Um, I know Joey Bart got his, um, and, I got, and I saw the pictures with him having it on, and it, it was awesome. And, and knowing Joey, it's like that chain is the complete opposite of his personality. <laughs> so it was, it was so funny to see that on him. But um, I'm not quite sure how it works, but I'm just excited and, and very honored to have been named uh, Pitcher of the Week that week. And I'm just trying to build every single start one after the next to put together a quality outing. Um, so it's, it's been a lot of fun so far. Yeah, so let's talk about what went into allowing you to get that chain. Uh, you know, you're coming off a little bit of a difficult season dealing with injuries and, and some struggles early on. What is your what has been your approach to the fall league? I mean, is it just to build up innings? Is it matching yourself up? Is it working on specific pitches? When you found out you were going to the AFL, uh, what did you think about how this would go and what were you envisioning on working on? Um, I, I definitely knew I was coming here to, to get innings, um, but me being a competitor, I, I wanted to come in and, and compete. Like every, every single time I get out there, work on, um, commanding my fastball a little bit better, working on my changeup, playing it off my fastball, uh, working on, on some more depth to my slider, working on consistency with my curveball, just kind of um, crispening everything up to, to make them really good pitches um, and just honestly competing every single time I go out there and, and ultimately also having fun because this is a really fun league. You know, you're playing with a, like guys from different organizations that you may – never get the chance to play with again and it's just a, it's honestly a lot of fun um but yeah just every single five six seven days whenever whenever i get the chance to pitch you know get as many innings in as i possibly can be efficient compete and ultimately just kind of have fun out there yeah and when you talk about that fun aspect of it a lot of guys bring that up is in that it's almost like you're playing in an all-star game every day in a way because you're not with guys who are necessarily part of your organization. You've got so many organizations that are all coming together on one team for you, that Salt River. What has been the most fun moment so far uh, through these three-ish weeks of the, the fall league for you? Honestly, kind of in the clubhouse. I get Honestly, getting to know people, getting to know different personalities. And for the Raptors, I can say we have a lot of funny like personalities on the team. So when everybody kind of gets going and everybody has their day where they're just – being absolutely funny and silly it's it's so hilarious to be in the clubhouse um and then when you're in the dugout too i mean i mean guys crack jokes all the time you know people yeah people get out you know people have rough outings and and, and stuff like that happens but at the end of the day like everybody has fun everybody jokes around everybody's personality gets along with everybody there's i wouldn't say there's one specific moment that is my favorite because every single moment every single day has been just an absolute blast and it's so it's so exciting to be here hmm. so it's, it sounds like that's kind of come together naturally is there anything that you know whether it's you know the manager keith johnson who's part of the marlin system comes along with you tries to make everybody get together and act like a team or is it just 
you know, this mix of D-backs, Rockies, Marlins, Twins, and Rays just seems to be working really well together. I think it's just working really well together. Um, I know we've tried to get together on off days, but everybody kind of is on their different different schedules on the off day. Um, but, yeah, I, I think just like a collective group of guys, we just – I mean, we probably have one person from every single team involved in a conversation. So it's not like, you know, Rockies guys are sticking together, Marlins guys are sticking together. Like every single organization, we're all just like gelled together. And it's like we've been playing with each other for years on end. Hmm. And in terms of your own personal success, I know you mentioned trying to crispen all those pitches and, and throw strikes, and obviously you're doing that with two walks and only those 16 and two-thirds innings. But um, what do you think has been the most successful thing for you so far? What's the biggest gain you've made? I know it's only been about four starts, but uh, you know, from the end of the season with New Orleans to where you are now, what kind of gains do you think you've made? Um, I would say, you know, after, after knee surgery, there were days where, um, it would feel really good. And then there were days that it, it wouldn't feel good at all. So I think, um, just being out here and it, it's gotten a lot more consistent. Like I have consistently, consistently a lot, um, a lot more days where it feels really good. I still have my days where it, it aches a little bit. Um, but it, I would say as a collective total, it's, it's felt really good since I've been out here. Um, I would say fastball command's gotten better. Um, but then again, I, I honestly think it's just like the consistency of my knee feeling a lot better um, and getting, you know, healthier, stronger every single, like every single day, every single week um, that kind of plays into stuff that I do on the field, stuff I get to do in the weight room. Um, I'm able to do more, more things to, to like improve my range of motion, to improve my stamina on the field. So I would say that kind of affects everything that I've been doing on the field like I've been able to to work more on my pitches and and not have to you know take it take it really light a couple of days in between starts to make sure my knee was was uh feeling 100 percent good to go you know like I can push myself every single time to to um get better every single day and, and it not bother me mm. and it's interesting to hear you bring up that knee injury that was what I was going to bring up at some point obviously you, you had major knee surgery to repair a torn meniscus uh missing time after April didn't come back with New Orleans until early August had some rehab starts in between there but it the line the demarcation line is pretty clear of what you were before the surgery and what you were afterwards you had an 871 ERA in three starts before the surgery and 382 in six starts afterwards um so talk talk to us about that process about you know finding out hey you need surgery on your knee you're going to be missing time and working your way back to where you are now it was definitely frustrating i mean and no no one wants to get injured um for sure but um when when i found out i had to get knee surgery i was really upset um i was very thankful though it wasn't um something that was going to knock me out for the rest of the year or it wasn't an elbow wasn't a shoulder when it wasn't anything arm related so i was like you know what like 10 week recovery after surgery I'm I'm 100% fine with that over over anything else. Um, so it was definitely frustrating, but it was very at the same time being in rehab. You really appreciate the game a lot more. You're just sidelined. You're seeing, you're in the middle of baseball season. You're like I trained all off season. I've waited all year to to play, and I'm I'm stuck in rehab right now. So like when you get back, you have just a greater appreciation for playing the game. And I would say when I got back, I was just so determined to 
to be better than I was before the surgery. Um, that I, I was, I was working really hard. I was focused a lot more. Um, and then the beginning of the year, it wasn't like I wasn't focused. I was, I was really locked in. It was just a new league. I was getting a feel for it. You know, the PCL is, is a definite hitters league. So it, you have to, you have to kind of change a couple of things, tweak a couple of things, um, to, to, um, perform in that league. But, um, I was, I was very fortunate. We had really great coaches. We had really good on the pitching staff to, to help me out, to, that I could pick their brains and they could kind of walk me through stuff. But, um, I would say it was, it was frustrating through the whole process, but I was very, I was very thankful for it at the same time because it gave me a great appreciation for, for playing the game. And when you're talking about the knee, like you said, it, it's not a shoulder, it's not an elbow, it's not something that, you know, structurally you're worried about with your arm, and the arm is the money maker when you're a pitcher. Uh, but at what point did you fully trust the knee again? Because that's still something. You know, you need as a pitcher, you're still going to be landing on it. You're still going to be using it a lot, uh, or pushing off on it, as, as the case may be. Um, you know, at, at what point did you feel fully comfortable in, in trusting it every time? I know it's, it sounds like it's something you're still working on. Yeah, I would say fully 100% comfortable pushing off my knee. I would say didn't really happen until the fall league, because um, I w- I would still feel it out and like. Earlier, I I would have some days where it wouldn't feel good at all, so I would I would be pushing off. I'm like I don't I don't know about this. Like I'm I'm still kind of iffy on it, but I would just say the consistency of it feeling good is definitely taken off. Um, and I would say the first outing here, I was I was 100% comfortable pushing off, and then every single outing, I'm like okay, like it's good to go, like it's 100%. So I think I think it just took some time just to trust it again and and be comfortable pitching on it. <laughs> And you talked before about, you know, the timing of the injury. You prepare so much for the season in the off season, and then to have a good portion of your season taken away is, is hurtful in a way. Um, but I would imagine especially so given that you started out at AAA, you were at AA for all of 2018. Uh, you start out this year at AAA New Orleans. How much of it was a goal to make the majors in, in 2019? How close did you really feel? I mean, I, I would definitely say that was a goal to make it to the major leagues this year. Um, but I know ultimately, like, I, I don't have control over over that. So I was just trying to put together good start after good start, and then the injury happened, and and, and I was very discouraged. I was like, I was like, well, this definitely isn't the season that I planned out for myself. But um, I know, I know, God ultimately has a has a bigger plan, and it's all in His timing on things. So I just, I really stuck to that, and I really trusted in that. And if it's if it was meant to be, if I was meant to be in the big leagues this year, it would have happened. But you know, I think I'm I'm still in a great spot. I'm still in a great place. I love playing the game of baseball. So whenever I get the opportunity, if I even get the opportunity to play in the major leagues, you know, I'm going to be extremely grateful for it. Hmm. And you know, you are still only 22. You'll be turning 23 next month in, in November. So you still got plenty of time on that aspect. Um, but, you know, there were some guys in the Marlins system who made their debuts this year, Jordan Yamamoto, Zach Gallen, before he got traded to the D-backs. Were you able to talk to anybody about what is it like to finally make that jump? Oh, yeah. I, I, I love both those guys. Those are two of my really good friends, and I actually still stay in contact with, with both of them quite often. Um, but it was it was really cool. I was so excited. Once, once I heard both of them got the call up, I was – did I was so excited. I think I might have been more excited than both of them, but um, <laughs> um, for for both of them, 
it was just fun to pick their brains and just kind of be like, hey, what's what's the difference between minor league ball and big league ball? Like, what do you, what do you see the difference? And and they were really great on sharing some really good information with me, sharing sharing what it's like, the differences and stuff. And, and they said, I mean, both of them said it's a dream come true. Everything that they've wanted since they were little kids. So it, it was really cool to hear that from them. And I'm so excited for him. I'm excited for Zach. I get to see him when I'm out here in AZ. So I get to, I haven't seen him since he made his debut. So maybe I'll take him to dinner. Maybe he'll take me to dinner. I don't know. Yeah, I was going to say, one of you is a major leaguer. I have an idea of who should be taking who. <laughs> right, but, right, right. But uh, one thing we want to mention, too, is you made nine starts this year for New Orleans, as we as we said. This is actually going to be the last year the Baby Cakes are in existence. They're moving to Wichita. So in terms of looking back at your time with the Baby Cakes, as limited as it was, what was your favorite New Orleans memory? I would say having my very first beignet. Uh, I would say that's like off the field. Like the beignets are unbelievable there. So that was really cool. Um, on the field, oh my gosh, my favorite memory. Um, I honestly don't know. I, well, I was just in the clubhouse, like seeing guys get called up for the first time. Like I was in the clubhouse when Isan got called up. And that was, that was, that was the first time I've seen someone that I, I played with for most of 2018 and then uh, part of 2019 to get called up. That was awesome. I mean, just seeing these guys, you know, told that, hey, you're going to you're gonna go up to the big leagues and see just that smile and, like, tears coming down their face, like seeing September call-ups. I mean, that's, that's some of the coolest stuff. I mean, to see Brian Moran get called up, he, it brought tears to his eyes. Um, just a bunch of different guys. It was, it was honestly, like, that was probably the highlight of my year altogether. Like, through everything, seeing those guys – get called up seeing their dreams come true shoot i mean i i wouldn't trade that for anything that that, that stuff's just the best Mm. no that's really cool and uh speaking of which you are now somebody who has been in the marlin system for two years uh you got traded from the mariner system in december 2017 in a d gordon swap uh now that you have been as a part of this project now for two years the marlins are obviously a team that is trying to build from within and build up their farm system what are the differences you've noticed in your two seasons now in the Marlins system as they start to put this real emphasis on a youth movement? They really care. The front, the front office, the management, everybody really cares about each and every person in the organization. So it's been it's been really cool um, being brought in um, um, two off seasons ago, and and getting told, Hey, like, this is what we're going to do and see it actually like be put in the motion. It's really cool. Um, I wasn't here before the new regime, but I've been told that, um, there's been so many different changes. It's like, it's a completely new organization than what it was before. And at, at every single level, like you get moved up, you see, and I got, I get the chance to kind of see like all the, a uh, couple different levels this year and see how, how things are ran at every level and it's like the same through and through and it's awesome because everybody's bought in everybody wants to make it to the big leagues the players know that there's opportunities to make it to the big leagues and it's so much fun it's so exciting and i I honestly can't wait to see like when everything gets put together this is going to be extremely special i I truly do believe that Hmm. yeah and is that something that comes up often especially at new orleans i would imagine when you see guys like isan get the call or, or moran get his opportunity um that it you know, you guys will be rewarded if, if you play well enough. That, that major league call isn't that far away. Is that kind of a different feeling than something you may have experienced with the Mariners or 
now that you're talking to different guys in, in other clubhouses in the fall league, um, how does that kind of compare, knowing you'll get your chance with the Marlins, given their emphasis on youth? I would say I would say just everybody in the Marlins system just knows that they have an opportunity to play in the big leagues. doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter any sort of rankings or anything. Anybody who plays well, anybody who you know, is, is playing with a purpose, playing for each other. Like they're going to get a shot at the big leagues at some point or another. And then once you make it to the big league, it, it's, it's kind of up to you. Then uh, it's, it's so exciting. Cause you, I mean, you look at other organizations. I have, I have buddies all over the place that made their debut this year. And it was so cool to see that. And just honestly, the opportunity in Miami, it's, I'm, I'm so excited for it. Miami is an incredible city. Um, we're trying to make a culture change down there and, Honestly, if I if I get to be a part of it, I'd I'd be extremely excited. Mm. And uh, w- one thing about that, you know, the trade that brought you over uh, from the Marlins, the Marlins are going to be making a lot of those. They already have even since you've come over to build up the farm system. Uh, when you talk to guys about you know entering the Marlins system or even just dealing with the mental aspect of a trade, what is the advice you give to guys about what it's like to go through that process and come out the other side? It's definitely a weird process. I, I tell them that. I'm like, hey, listen, it's going to be weird for a little bit. You're transitioning from one organization to a complete other where you know everybody in there and you don't know anybody. Um, it's it's definitely a change. It takes you a little bit to get used to it. I know for me when I got traded over, it was I – didn't, I didn't know really anybody. I knew maybe a couple guys that got traded from the Mariners over in the – I think it was a Phelps trade. Um, but it was – it, there were so many nice guys. There were so many great guys to help me out, kind of show me the way around there. And then it, it was also nice for me in a sense that I, when I got traded over there, they were in the middle of management change and everything. So I got to learn the new system just like everybody else had to learn the new system. Um, but when guys get traded over, I'm like, hey, listen, there's an incredible opportunity to make the big leagues. Like everybody, anybody and everybody has an opportunity to make the big leagues and and, and, and the door the door is open. We just gotta we just gotta go after it. And speaking of learning a new system, one thing I want to bring up before we let you go is uh, you are pitching for Salt River. That means you get Salt River is your home park. That's one of the ones that has stack cast and for, new for 2019 is the automated umpire system. As a pitcher, you have a unique view of, of working in that system. What has it been like to pitch to? basically a robot umpire knowing the guy behind the plate is just getting it, you know, from a reading from a system. Uh, and there's not really much argument there. You know, exactly what the box is going to be. Yeah. It's, it's weird. Cause, um, you know, sometimes you get a couple inches off the plate, um, depending on the umpire up and down, stuff like that. Um, but to know that like the umpire behind the plate, isn't making a call. It's, it's kind of it's kind of weird, um, especially for catchers. Like when when, you, when I'm on the mound, I don't really focus on. It. I just look at hit, hitting the target, you know, executing pitches. But when you're you're in the dugout and you're looking out, it's it's weird because like catchers who are really good at framing and sticking pitches that are really borderline to them, it's they're like, well, I'm I'm framing it like I I, I normally would, but it's not like the the robot um, is going to give me any any extra calls for sticking it well or not. Um, but it's, it's definitely different. It's definitely odd because you get some pitches that you're like, mm, I didn't think I was going to get that. And then there's some pitches that you're like, okay, I thought that one was there. But um, it's interesting. It's, it's definitely different. And there's a little bit of a delay in between the, 
the pitch and the call. So it's it's a it's a little different, but it's it's not really a a big change because it it's still the strike zone. Yeah, is there any type of adjustment you have to make, or is it just like learning any other umpire strike zone? Once you know what it is, you can kind of work within that system. Yeah, I mean it, it, the strike zone doesn't change. Um, it's a it's a you know it's a box strike zone that you just kind of throw it through, and and you just know that there's no wiggle room to it. It's just what the strike zone is, is what the strike zone is. So, do you have a preference yet? Um. Not really. Um, I think there's there's pros and cons to to both of them. I think you know some umpires give you a little bit bigger zone. Some umpires give you a little bit smaller zone. Um, the consistency of the of the automated strike zone is definitely there. Um, you get you definitely get calls on um, from both the umpire calling it and the automated that that you you enjoy. Um, but honestly, I don't I don't really have much of a of a preference to be honest with you. Okay. All right. Well, we'll end on this one. Uh, when we asked about New Orleans, you said the beignets stuck out the most. So potentially for 2020, you know, knock on wood, everything goes well. Uh, you could be making your Miami debut. What are you looking forward to most about potentially calling Miami home? Oh, man. Honestly, just like the culture. I heard the culture there is, um, is it's amazing. Um, you have everything like I'm a big food person. I love food. Um, so I'm honestly very interested in trying like different culture foods down there. Cause I know it's very diverse and they have a lot of different cultures. So I'm excited to, to try everything and try the different foods. And I mean, you're, you're down there in Miami, right next to the beach. I'm excited to see the beaches of Miami. Um, just kind of explore the city. Um, I have a couple buddies down there that are like, Hey, when, when and if you get here, we would we'd love to show you around. So I'm excited to kind of see the city, get to know the town, and and hopefully stay there for a while. Yeah, and, and hopefully, like we said, that chance will come for you in 2020. Uh, Nick Nider, number 11 prospect in the Marlins system, currently working his way through the Arizona Fall League. Thank you so much for joining us, and uh, good luck the rest of the way down there in Arizona. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. A new week and a new segment with Benjamin Hill, who joins the show. We are uh, we're right into uh, rebranding season. We're into the off season, and uh, we've already got a team with a new name and more coming. And hi, Ben. And hi, <laughs> and hi, Tyler, and and hi, Sam. We're talking on a Tuesday this week. I hope yeah. that's not confidential information in terms of uh, how the podcast uh, sausage gets made. But it's very uh, unique to be talking to you on a Tuesday, and everything feels just like a little bit different. I feel like we used to always, always, always be on Wednesday. And then this season we did a lot of shows on Thursdays. And then uh, I'm actually helping uh, former MILB.com writer Mark Emery move tomorrow. He now lives in Denver. And so I texted Sam yesterday and I was like, hey, we can record tomorrow. And it feels like it's like a weird crossover episode. Like it's early week, but for some reason it's the minor league baseball podcast. It's very strange. So I'm sorry to have thrown off the routine. That's okay. We've got plenty to talk about, and uh, I'm all for varying routines, staying fresh, staying light on our feet. Yeah, it'd be one thing if we didn't have much to talk about this week and be like, well, if we were doing this on Thursday, we could say this, that, and the other thing. But legitimately, a big thing happened over the weekend. It did, and uh, and it is the unveiling of the new identity of the former Potomac Nationals who are moving to Fredericksburg, Virginia next year, where they will be... 
the Fredericksburg Nationals. Um, <laughs> the the Fred Nats, they are not going to be the F Nats like they were the P Nats because obviously that's problematic. Uh, so the Fred Nats, uh, a new thing. Tell us about the Fred Nats, the new identity in Fredericksburg. Yeah, the Fredericksburg Nationals. Um, you know, the Fredericksburg Nationals are moving from, uh, they were the Potomac Nationals, as you mentioned, Tyler. The, they played in Woodbridge, Virginia, which was even closer to Washington, D.C. and the Washington Nationals than Fredericksburg. But Fredericksburg is still only about 50 miles away from Washington, D.C. They're a Washington Nationals affiliate. And when it was all, all said and done, you know, the team decided to, hey, let's not uh, get too too cute right now uh we're a new team in a new ballpark and we're still a nats affiliate and we're still in dc territory so we are the nationals and uh so nationals is the official name but again tyler as you mentioned uh the same way that potomac nationals were colloquial colloquially 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 were nicknamed the peanuts um there is going to be a strong element of branding along Fredericksburg Nationals that is Fred Nats. So it's not just something that people will start calling them incidentally. They are, you know, right out the gate with some Fred Nats, Fred Nats branding as well. And uh, we did learn uh, just yesterday that if Fred Nats is one word, but the capital N for Nats. So it's one word, capital F R E D, capital N. A-T-S. And there is a word for a word that's like that that has a capital. Intercap. An intercap. Did you oh, know did that? I just, or? Did I just jump it? You were going to drop it? I thought you were going to say. No, I didn't know it. I was oh, going to okay, say good. I remember it. I is, it really, is that really what it is? Yeah, it really is. It really is. All right. Well, it's um, an intercap. Yeah. I uh, I remember reading that in a UniWatch story one time because he wrote about uh, Paul Lucas over at UniWatch, wrote about the advent, not the advent, but the, the continued era of minor league names where it's just two words smushed together and the second word is capitalized in the middle of the first word. Um, yeah, an intercap for all of you wondering. Now you know. Well, there you have. So Fredericksburg Nationals, two words, not an intercap, but the nickname, Fred Nats, an intercap. And let's get into some of the looks of this. Uh, It's mostly not that different from what the P-Nats were, except it's an F instead of a P now. But there is a new element with like an actual mascot in George Washington looking like he's about to cut down the cherry tree. Um, Also, while he swings the bat, he's he's cutting down the cherry tree in a uh, in a baseball kind of way. Right. And then there's also kind of another side logo in which I assume this is Fredericksburg um, with Fred Nats over it, uh, looking over. So how are they kind of making this singular to Fredericksburg in that way? Right. Well, when you adopt the name of the parent club, obviously it limits the opportunities for branding uh, of your name. Uh, So the George Washington uh, axe swinging logo is a big part of the branding. Um, You know, that story, that whole chop down the cherry tree, father, I cannot tell a lie. You know, that was a young George Washington. And uh, this logo shows an old George Washington, I guess reliving his childhood cherry chopping, cherry tree chopping days. Uh, but, you know, I, I didn't actually know this, but um, George Washington grew up in Fredericksburg and lived you know, into adulthood in Fredericksburg. So I, I didn't know just how connected George Washington was to. I mean, obviously, George Washington as a president uh, is very connected into, you know, the Nationals name in general, you know, as a uh, that being our nation's capital. But Fredericksburg uh, was the home 
of George Washington for many years. So there's a lot of uh, George Washington and George Washington family history and a lot of historical history in the city of Fredericksburg. So uh, definitely branding around the George Washington swing in the axe logo. And there's also another alternate logo. And these logos, by the way, were done by uh, Dan Simon of Studio Simon, um, who I think always does good work. Um, you know, these are very, I'd say aesthetically pleasing. I mean, obviously adopting the name of the parent club, you're going to have a lot of the elements of the parent club. Uh, but this, there's a logo that has the bridges and steeples and river, um, a kind of, uh, Fredericksburg skyline alternate logo that, uh, you know, speaks to the place as well. So between that logo with the, the bridges and the water, you know, the combination of the architecture and the natural beauty and George Washington, there are elements of this as well as just the Fred Nats name, which I think will be used pretty heavily, um, you know, that does give this somewhat of a unique feel, about as unique as you can be when you have the name of your parent club. It is pretty cool stuff. You can check out the story, which is up at MILB.com right now. And uh, the Fred Nats, kind of the first to, to get us kicked off in rebranding season. There's a whole lot more on the way. Um, the Connecticut Tigers, who have, I think it's kind of fitting, they've got uh, sort of a neat tie-in as a team that is branded after the parent club. Uh, they have had one of the coolest logos, I think, for a team that's like that. That Connecticut C that's on the Tigers hat, that's actually the Detroit D logo flipped over and with the front half of the D lopped off. So now you can tell your friends that. And you can tell them that after they change their name and it becomes completely pointless to know that. Um, starting uh, this week, actually starting yesterday, uh, Monday, October 7th, through Friday, October 18th, fans can vote on five finalists as the Connecticut Tigers rebrand. For the first time since moving to Norwich, Connecticut, they're going to have a new name. Uh, in alphabetical order, these are the five finalists. The Nor they're going Norwich. They will no longer be Connecticut, since, of course, there is now another team in Connecticut and the Hartford Yard Goats, et cetera, et cetera, with all the Connecticut baseball. Uh, the Norwich Golden Roses. Mill Mules, Narwhals, Salty Dogs, and Sea Unicorns. Uh, ben, your thoughts on these? It's kind of somewhat along the lines, I think, of uh, a lot of the name name the team contests we've seen in recent years with the, the fun and the wacky names. These are like a little bit more muted, which is kind of nice. Yeah, I mean, I think they're they're goofy enough to get attention, but they're not over the top. I right. like this as a slate of names. Uh, it is Brandios, and they're very much following the Brandios template. Uh, you know, Tyler, you made a good point about how cool the Connecticut Tigers logo is. But aside from that, you know, having the name of your parent club when you don't play in that region, you know, is not great uh, for the branding. And to carry a state name, um, you know, when you're – there's, as you mentioned, another team from that state. Uh, you know, it's a little indistinct. So Connecticut Tigers, I think, uh, you know, if you were to ask me before they announced this rebrand, what's a team that kind of could use a rebranding? I'm sure Connecticut Tigers, you know, would have been way high, way high on my list and many other people's lists. Um, you know, there's been baseball there for a while. The last time that the Norwich name was used was the Navigators. Uh, or double-A Eastern League team, and they were the Navigators through 2005, and then they changed their name to the Connecticut Defenders while remaining in the Eastern League, and then that team moved to Richmond and became the Flying Squirrels, at which point this current New York Penn League entity, the Connecticut Tigers, took up the spot in Norwich, and now finally they're going back to the Norwich name. And I like all these names. Um, I think the obvious one, maybe not the obvious one, but the one I like the best uh, is narwhals as I think a lot of people do Same. the team describes it as a tribute to the unicorn of the sea allegedly seen by merchant sailors as they sail to and from Chelsea landing at the Norwich Harbor uh, then there's also 
see unicorns as one of the men- as one of the other options, which is just another name for a narwhal. So, forty percent of these uh, five choices are unicorn of the sea related. Um, but I'd like to see them go with with one of those. I kind of like golden roses too. It's not one that jumps out at you as much, but. I think there could be uh, talk about cool logos. Golden Rose. I think there could just be a real cool logo. But as a you know Guns and Roses fan since uh, I was gonna say birth, not quite. But uh, maybe I'm just thinking too much of Guns and Roses, and I just want a minor league team to have a Guns and Roses type uh, logo. Golden Roses just feels like such a one-off. Like it could be a great middle of the summer tradition for them to become the Golden Roses and have a celebration of Norwich, but. With the nautical history of it, I, I just think narwhals, my favorite is salty dogs or sea unicorns, just makes so much sense in terms of plugging into a regional feel. Uh, any of these are better than tigers, like you mentioned. Um, but also mill mules, we should throw out there real quick, just because of the textile history, which is true of a lot of New England. Um, you know, the mill mules and the yard goats in the same state yeah. would be. Uh, a heck of a, a twofer. You know, I hadn't thought of, I hadn't made that connection. Connecticut's two teams could be mules and goats. Goats, so, yeah. yeah. I would hope that there would be a little bit more diversity than that. But um, yeah, narwhals. In, in looking at internet reaction so far to what we've seen, that seems like a fun one. And then it could just be everybody quoting Elf the entire time and uh, Mr. Narwhal. So uh, there's a lot of fun possibilities with that. Let's move along. The uh, top promos of the 2019 season ben's got a story that's coming up on the site this week for that and there are always so many to choose from and of course ben you get to travel around and see some of those uh in action but um give us a, a little preview of your favorite promos of 2019 and kind of how you even go about narrowing this down yeah well you know two things one um for years there's been a you know milby award you know our website's um end of season awards um usually recognizing on-field and player oriented stuff but there's always been a milby award a fan voted milby award that i put together uh that is not no longer happening this year but i wanted to make sure that you know i was able to choose some of my favorite uh promos of the year and uh, give them some play so these are all promo the ones i'm going to pick um i'll say i'm going to be all like uh mysterious about us. I say stay tuned to see what I pick. But it, it is um, you know, just me choosing my favorites to highlight things that I thought were really creative during the season. But I will say this, you know, I went to the Innovator Summit in El Paso. We talked about that. Um, you know, I did two stories on the Golden Bobblehead Awards, which we talked about quite a bit. And, um, you know, I just wanted to write about top promos of 2019 that were kind of missed by the Golden Bobblehead Awards. That's not going to be totally the angle of the story, but we gave a lot of play to those Golden Bobblehead winners, which was ultimately one best overall bobblehead or best overall promotion of 2019, uh, Wisconsin Timber Rattlers, you know, salute to cows and when they were the utter tuggers. That's a great promotion. It won the Golden Bobblehead. A lot of others are recognized, but, you know, it's minor league baseball. There's 160 teams, so I'll be writing about what my favorites were. And uh, if you're familiar with my work or you read it all during the year, it won't be too much of a surprise because these are promos I did cover during in the year uh but it'll i think it'll be fun to 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 write about them and give some play to some promotions that uh, i don't want people to forget and uh speaking of fun ways to kind of revisit the year you put out a twitter thread today or just ask for submissions to a twitter thread asking for people to you know submit their favorite moments their favorite minor league moments from 2019 what were some of the responses to that that you got yeah i put this uh you know speaking on this anomalous tuesday uh, i put this tweet up earlier today uh if you don't follow me on twitter please do at ben's biz um 
you know, what is your favorite memory of attending a minor league game this season? That was the gist of the tweet. And as I'm speaking now, there's well over 100 uh, replies and just so many good ones. And I think, you know, Twitter can be negative. People argue a lot. People are always like, oh, get me off this hellscape website. It does not have to be that. And I think if you want to see a, a prime example of hashtag positive Twitter, uh, check out this uh, this tweet and uh, people sharing their favorite memories. You have people mentioning the, like, the different prospects they love to see, of course, watching the GoTour score 26 runs. Favorite memory is the same for every game, just being there with a happy family, you know, that that sort of stuff. Uh, you have family, uh, player family members saying how meaningful it was to watch their children on the field. Uh, you have people saying, um, you know, about the different food items they had. You have a lot of father, son, father, daughter, um, family bonding moments uh, throughout. And uh, I, I think it just really speaks to how important minor league baseball is as a, an experience, you know, where we're actually off our phones, where we're off the Twitter and, uh, and, um, you know, how it unites so many people. And that's one of the reasons I really stick with what I do, um, because it can seem like a negative world and to have a little uh, corner that we can all carve out and, uh, not feel disingenuous in being positive a lot, uh, I think is a really special thing. So if you want to share your memories, please check out my Twitter at Ben's biz, uh, scroll down to, you see that tweet. It'll be pretty high up there and uh, share your favorite memories of the 2019 season. Uh, do you guys have any uh, favorite memories? that you'd like to share um for me it might have been seeing adley rutschman for the first time like four or five people mentioned him specifically yeah. he's number one already on this thread yeah uh, orioles nation whatever they want to call that fan base is super excited about that guy and after you know doing a story about the legend of adley rutschman and knowing he's done so many different things and to see him homer for Delmarva when I went down to see him in lakewood i think that was maybe my favorite moment um just to know that you know the guy could go over four. Anything is possible. It's a baseball game. It's the end of a long season. But to see him come through in that way was really, really special. So that's the first thing that comes to mind for me. I could go on with many other ones. but That thread is up at twitter.com slash Ben's Biz. You can find Ben there. You can find him on the site as well, milb.com slash Ben's Biz. And uh, be on the lookout for all the, the good rebranding stuff and um, redesigns and all of it. It's all coming to the site for more teams. And the story on the Fred Nats, of course, is up there right now. Thanks, Ben. Thank you, Tyler. Thank you, Sam. This Tuesday was just as good as a Wednesday. We never get to plug uh, MILB.TV where you can watch prospects over the offseason and such uh, once we hit the the conclusion of the AAA National Championship game. But this week, we kind of get to do that. It's not MILB TV, but it is MLB.com slash AFL coming up on Saturday at 8 o'clock Eastern time, 5 o'clock uh, Pacific slash whatever Arizona calls itself. Um, you can watch the Fall Stars game, the Arizona Fall League's top talents will be in action at, uh, for my money, the best ballpark in professional baseball, Salt River Field's a talking stick. Wow. uh, It's amazing, man. That place is incredible. It is. I had a conversation with Ken Rosenthal a few years ago uh, at spring training, which we were talking about ballparks and all that kind of stuff. And uh, it was the year – it was my first year down there. uh, So it must have been spring training of 2015. So Salt River wasn't, like, brand new, but I think it was only in its second or third season, something like that. And uh, and we were talking about it, and he was like, I tell my wife, and she thinks I'm insane. I tell my wife, that is my favorite ballpark in baseball. And I was like, yeah, me too. I don't tell my wife that because I don't have <laughs> one. But other than that, that is accurate, and this is amazing. And uh, if you get a chance to go, if you're in the Phoenix area, 
Fall Stars game is super fun. Uh, so many Fall League games, you know, get the the small crowds and kind of what you expect for the AFL. The Fall Stars game is generally sold out, um, and it's a really cool energy in the ballpark. The players' families come in uh, for for that event, and it's a lot of fun. So if you're in that area for whatever reason, if you live there, if you're there this weekend, um, give that a, a look. Uh, go get yourself some tickets for the Fall Stars game. If not, you can tune in at MLB.com slash AFL. Uh, and if you are one of the tens of millions of us whose uh, teams will not be playing in the LCS, then you got something where you can cheer for uh, your organization's players of some kind, and uh, it'll be fun on Saturday. Yeah, that's the thing is that, you know, having attended Futures games, people get so excited about that game. And I get it. It's a major league park versus a spring training facility. Uh, but it's the same opportunity. I mean, 12 top 100 prospects that we know of so far. And that there's a fan vote that's also going on. And if you hear this in time, go vote. I think voting ends on Thursday. Uh, Blake Rutherford, Omar Estevez, O'Neill Cruz on the west side, and Ronaldo Hernandez, Nolan Jones, and Gerard Encarnacion on the east side. Um, you know, this is a futures game in the fall. This is a really cool opportunity. Yeah. Guys talk about these games all the time. Like, oh, I saw him in the fall league or I saw him in the futures game. Um, you know, when they make all-star games eventually and, and get to show off and, and play in these games later, they talk about, hey, I saw this guy here first. So this is your same opportunity to say, hey, I saw this guy first here. That is it. And uh, with that, we will wrap up this week's episode of The Show Before the Show. He's Sam Dykstra. I'm Tyler Mom. We'll talk to you next week. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data from Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware. Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.